Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, nothing much. It is a it is a gloomy, rainy day here in Chicago, but I am excited to be back with what looks like college football, maybe kind of sort of on the horizon. Mm. Time will tell. Time will tell, and, and we will see. I, I still have no idea which way this is going to go, but it's July. It's late July, so... I think my natural body clock has me excited to, to talk some ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's we're recording this on July 29th, and this time of year it's supposed to be we're thinking about college football. We're getting ready for college football. Camps are starting up, and like Pat Fitzgerald has already threw up on himself at media day. Right, Pat Fitzgerald has already like said something that like the National Labor Relations Board is like could use against him in a court of law if anyone decides to unionize, like. All these things, uh, and while there are sports coming back uh, and sports on the horizon, uh, it's decidedly not college football right now. Um, we are, as you know, we're doing preview. Po- we took a little bit of a break because of uh, we all had some personal things that just kind of got in the way of doing the podcast. We do apologize for that, but we are uh, back today to do some more previewing of positions for this Penn State season uh, that we hope is able to happen safely in some form or fashion. Uh, we're going to be previewing Penn State's tight ends, Penn State's offensive line. Then we took a few uh, reader question, uh, listener questions, or reader questions because it's from Twitter, uh, that we're going to do for a mailbag at the very end. Should be a fun episode. Of course, we all hope that you are staying safe. You're washing your hands, wearing masks, keeping six feet apart from people. All those things, and we hope that you're able to continue to do that for however long uh, we have to do that. And hopefully we have some form of college football. So we'll keep looking and hoping that day comes, and we hope that, Matt, when that day comes, Penn State is going to have Pat Fryermuth in the lineup uh, because we're starting that with That was Penn a pro St- transition. Thank you. Uh, Penn State, uh, starting with its tight ends in today's preview pod, there's only one place to start, and that is with Pat Fryermuth, the best tight end in college football, with all due respect to Kyle Pitts, uh, Pennsylvania native, down at the University of Florida. Matt, I think that Pat Fryermuth, he's just so crucial, like, even beyond how good he is. Having a guy who does the stuff that he does is more important than this year than it has been some time, I would argue, and I would like to hear your thoughts on this, because of everything happening in Penn State's offense with the other people who are nominally supposed to catch the football. I think having Pat Fryermuth kind of makes it a little bit easier on Penn State's wide receiving core, on Kirk Shiraka, uh, on Taylor Stubblefeld, on everyone who is trying to figure out what this passing game is going to look like because they have, you know, baby Rob Gronkowski along the uh, along the offensive line split out wide in all the ways that we've seen Pat Fryermuth use in this Penn State career. Yeah, Pat's Pat's stupid good. Pat Pat's looked like a fifth year senior since he was a true freshman, which is absolutely insane. Like the dude's played two years and he's already tied uh Gesicki's career touchdown record by a tight end. And he's more than a capable blocker. So with all the questions Penn State has going, you know, pretty much at every position that's not running back or tight end because of the pat, he's going to be a huge part of the offense. He has to be. I know a big concern that I still have is that Kirk never really used tight ends in his past stops. But like we've been saying, he's never had a tight end like Pat Fryermuth. So having him there to kind of be that security blanket again, because let's be honest, he was that for Clifford last year and to a lesser extent to Trace two years ago, having him there is going to be huge and really going to allow receivers to kind of take their time and develop and, and, and for the staff to kind of pick and choose and see who's working well out wide. The fact that you don't have to go completely one dimensional because you can just, you know, pretty much RPO it up the gut and just dink and dunk it to Fryermuth all day long and still get yards. That's a huge luxury. And in a season where you have literally new coaches all over the offensive side of the ball and way less time than normal to prepare, I think he's going to be one of, if not the most important part of the Penn State offense. Right. I mean, this season seems, whenever it happens, in whatever form or fashion it happens, it seems like 
being that known commodity is going to be more important this year than ever before. And it is hard to argue there is a more known commodity in Penn State's offense than Pat Fryermuth for his career uh, 69 catches. Nice. There you go. Sorry, I was drinking water. No, no, all good. Uh, we... Eh, we should probably start doing these with videos eventually so we could pick on up on cues. Neither here nor there. Uh, so yeah, 69 receptions, uh, 875 receiving yards in his Penn State career. And as Matt mentioned, 15 career touchdowns, eight as a true freshman, uh, seven as a sophomore tying Mike Gusecki's record for players in that position. And I'm glad you brought uh, something that I wanted to discuss up, Matt, which is there was this... Um, you know, narrative isn't the it isn't the right word, I don't think, but I think there was this concern, a somewhat justifiable concern, that we saw out of some Penn State fans when Kirk Sharaka was hired, because t- using tight ends has never really been his thing. I mean, he's always uh, had really, really good wide receivers, but uh, best example last year. At Minnesota, the Golden Go for tight end Jake Paulson, four catches. 451 yards, uh, their second tight end, Brevin Span Ford, four catches for 25 yards and a score. I, I think I understand where this concern comes from, uh, but I also think that it's just really hard for me to see a scenario in which Pat Fryermuth is on the football field and any offensive coordinator it could be someone who's running the triple option won't go. We need to find ways to get the ball into that guy's hands. I'm guessing you agree with me on this. Yeah, to an extent, I think Tyler Bowen getting that co-offensive coordinator tag is really, really big because I think he's going to make sure that Pat doesn't get left out. Pat had a great bowl game and really great bowl game blocking as well. So I think that kind of fun blend to in the sense that Kirk's, gonna have to tweak his playbook to kind of fit this personnel and he has less amount of time so Bowen being there a guy who's called the game before called the game really successfully and and a guy who's learned under Ricky Ronnie and kind of knows what this current group of players already has down pretty well I think is gonna go a really long way and I think Bowen is gonna get not as much credit as I think he should get for the kind of season I think Pat can have but I think having Bowen there makes me feel a little bit better about Pat Firemuth getting the kind of catches he needs for this offense to be successful. Uh, yeah, and I think that w- that fear of uh, him not using his uh, – Shiraka not using his tight ends, it's very hard for me uh, – to say, well, his tight end didn't get enough catches when last year Tyler Johnson caught 86 balls for 1,138 yards, Rashad Bateman 60, 1,129. Uh, Crazy how none of those came against Penn State. I don't know what you're talking about. No, none of them came against Penn State. That game didn't happen. Year before that, Johnson 78 receptions, Bateman 51. I mean, he had Corey Davis when he was at Western Michigan. Like, he's always had wide receivers who are just dudes and are able to take care uh of you don't you really don't need a tight end you can have your tight end and in there as an extra blocker in the passing game uh in the in the passing or the rushing game and the other thing i was going to mention you mentioning bowen i think is a really good note but i would also argue that something that uh, we're going to talk about a little bit later in the podcast is that Penn State's offensive line is very, very, very good. It's a solid unit. It's a veteran unit. For real this time. For right. real this right. time. It is a battle-tested, talented unit, and you really don't need Pat Fryermuth to be a tight end in that kind of... Uh, I, you don't need him to be a sixth offensive lineman when you have five guys who are as good as what Penn State is going to have. We think Penn State is going That's to have point. left to right. So my guess is that we don't need to worry too terribly much about that. And also, like, I just can't imagine a scenario where James Franklin would hire an offensive coordinator who wouldn't use uh, the guy who is 6'5", 259, and has soft hands and run routes and is really good at finding space in a defense. So, like, if Penn State 
again, whenever this season happens, whatever form or fashion happens, if Penn State goes like a game and a half without Pat Fryermuth getting fed the football, like Franklin's going to pull Kirk Shiraka aside and scream at him. So like, I'm not too particularly worried yet because like you just take, you go with what you know, you go with what you have. And we know that Penn State has a guy in Pat Fryermuth who could do stuff. The thing that I find more interesting with this tight end group, Matt, is that last year when Penn State's wide receiving core you know, KJ Hamler was KJ Hamler, Jahan Das was a solid option. When they kind of needed an option other than those two and Pat Fryermuth, you know, they tried out Justin Shorter, they tried out Daniel George, uh, they tried out Cameron Sullivan Brown. Like, they tried all these Don't things. Don't forget my guy, NFL receiver Dan Chisena. I'm going to bring it up every time I can. Up, out NFL receiver Dan Chisena. And then by the end of the year, it's well, not even by the end of the year, but just during conference play, it seemed like Penn State kind of realized, okay, so our offensive, our, our wide receivers, they leave something to be desired. Let's get Nick Bowers in there. Let's get, he's a veteran guy. He can give us that extra blocker. He can give us a little something in the passing game. He was fourth in Penn State last year in both receiving yards with 214 and receiving touchdowns with three. He caught 10 balls for the Nittany Lions. What was his final year uh, before he ended up going to, um, I'm going to just take a sip of something to uh, clean my throat before I do this. Sorry, I've always wanted to do that. Does that Um, carry over to Las Vegas? uh, I don't know. I I don't know the best way to get in touch with Chris Berman, but if I ever do, I'm going to uh, ask (laughs) that question. There there are many questions that I would like to ask Chris Berman if I ever find a way to get in touch with him, but that's how they're going over there. Getting back on track momentarily, Penn State, had that second option at tight end in Bowers, who was able to do some stuff, freed up Freiburg to be a little bit more of a receiver when they needed him to. It gave Penn State that extra receiving option. And the bad news is he's gone. Well, relatively bad news because he's now getting an NFL paycheck and we hope he has a very long and successful career. But the good news is that this is a really talented room of wide receivers, not uh, wide receivers tight ends that Penn State has Zach Koontz a former uh, highly regarded four-star tight end recruit at a Camp Hill Pennsylvania uh, if memory serves he was the best or second best tight end in his class Brenton Strange uh, redshirt freshman out of Parkersburg West Virginia he was a three-star recruit and then incoming uh tight end recruit Theo Johnson out of Windsor, Ontario, Canada, a four-star recruit in his own right, a very talented player. Matt, when I look at that, like I'm, you know, we talked on our wide receiver podcast. There was a bit of pessimism about how these talented guys are able to take the talent that they have and translate that because they need to do that. I'm really optimistic, even though it's kind of a similar situation with uh, Koontz, Strange, and Johnson, because they have a guy like Fryermuth who can be the reliable option, and they can kind of come along a little more easily in their development and contribute when they can contribute. But my question for you, what guy of that group, Zach Koontz, Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, do you think is best positioned to slide into that second tight end role I don't want to say a la Nick Bowers because he was a pretty good blocker, but just be able to contribute as a second member of this tight end group if Penn State needs someone to assume that position due to, you know, any variety of reasons. Yeah, so all three of these guys are really different uh, from both Fryermuth and from Bowers. Like you said, Bowers and Fryermuth played pretty similar brands of football, both athletic guys, both big, both could block. But all three of these guys, by at large, strange kind of the exception is that he can he's kind of bigger and block a bit more. But I'm going to go with Kuntz as as the guy I think can really step up here. A lot of that reasoning comes from the fact that Penn State needs pass catchers. And Kuntz was pretty much a glorified receiver in high school. And he is ginormous. And I think three years in, I think he's finally put on enough weight to fill out that frame. For a guy like Strange, I think he's about another year away. He still has some muscle to put on. And then Theo Johnson just straight up was a receiver in high school and he had that shoulder in just in injury that he was dealing with uh when he early enrolled and then he lost all that time and then tyler warren also in the room but he kind of ah, yeah, yeah he kind of has to figure out really ha- 
what it means to play tight end. So of all these guys, I'm going to go with Kuntz. I think he's going to play a very different role than what we're used to. I think we could see like a very Mike Gesicki-esque kind of kind of playbook for him there. But he's a guy I think can do a lot of damage. There's not many dudes who are six foot seven, that athletic, can, can run that fast, can jump that high, and can catch the ball as well as he can. So I think he's somebody to really keep your eye on especially early on there's no non-conference anymore which is which is a huge shame but while the receivers kind of get through those growing pains and, and Clifford needs guys to look to I think an experienced guy like Kuntz not experienced in that he's seen the field a lot but that he's been around a long time I think he's somebody that the staff could feel a lot more comfortable with kind of getting those live reps earlier yeah I'm, I'm actually looking now and Warren is not listed on um on Penn State's roster, that's uh, that's interesting. But I, I know none of the uh, non-early enrollees are yet. Okay, okay. I was going to say, like, did I like miss something? Okay, that's that's good. But no, I I agree with Koontz. He's uh, the only guy of that group to have caught. Uh, wait, no, Brenton Strange caught one pass uh, last year. Koontz, yeah, he caught a tutty. Oh, that that's right. He did. Like, uh, God Almighty, it's been so long. I, I forgot that he caught one against uh, Idaho. Zach Koontz caught two balls. Uh, last year and one ball the year before that not a lot to go off of but like the reason that i think it's coons is essentially because if penn state ends up looking for pass catching answers having a guy like him having that kind of matchup nightmare uh he is listed on penn state's roster at six foot seven 254 pounds he is actually five pounds lighter than Pat Fryermuth, uh, he was 221 pounds when he was in high school, so he's put a bit of weight on a, a, a pretty big frame. He was a good pass catcher uh, when you go back and you watch some of what he did during his time in high school, and I really think that if Penn State needs another wide receiver, uh, if for whatever reason they need some help because you know Jahan Dotson is Jahan Dotson, but then the rest of the guys just it just takes them a little bit. I think Koontz can be a potential next option as a pass catcher. So he's the guy, if I have to tab a member of this uh, tight end class beyond Fryermuth to be a contributor, it's him. But like we said, this is a really, really talented group. Strange seems like he could end up being a fun player uh, in a, a line that I am sure you in particular are going to love. Matt, I am looking at uh, his 24-7 scouting report from when he was in uh, high school, and his comparison is Zach Ertz of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, and yeah. Theo Johnson, uh, comparison to Austin Safarian Jenkins of the uh, – who, who does he even play for now? Is he on the Patriots now? He was on the Bucks at some point? Is yeah, that right? he, uh, it says he's on the Patriots now. I forgot to – Forgot about that. He was a he was a very very good player, I believe, at the University of Washington. If memory serves, uh, but that this again, it, this kind of goes back to the I can't be too concerned about Kirk Shirock and not using his tight ends thing. Like Frymuth, we know what he is. Koontz, uh, national number one hundred fifty recruit in the country for a uh, number four tight end, a four star. Uh, Strange, number three hundred fifty two in the nation, four star, number fourteen tight end, Theo Johnson. Uh, four-star, number 72 nationally, number three tight end. There is so much talent, Matt, in this tight end room that I just cannot see a scenario in which they are not used frequently. And, you know, as we wrap a bow on our discussion on Penn State's tight end, hopes for how we see this group work for me, it is Pat Fryermuth ends up being an All-American because I, I just think he has that in him. Uh, and who then, was, who who was first-team All-American for tight end last year? Do you remember? I'll look it up real quick. Uh, Give me a second. You know what? It's probably someone. No, because there weren't any like really good tight ends in the draft. It might have been Pitts. Was it? Was it Bryant? From FAU or was it Hopkins from Purdue? I feel like it was one of them. It was yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. And I you can't believe. tell me either of those two are better than Pat Fryermuth. Right. Well, circumstance like when you play tight end, circumstance the you know being able to get the football and all those sorts of things go into it. But I think like him being in legitimate All American conversations and then just some amount of development and some amount of consistent run for 
at the very least, Koontz and Strange, uh, if they decide, you know, they want to redshirt Johnson or something like that. That's what I want out of this room. I want to see the talent in this room show why it is such a talented room. What about yourself, Matt? Uh, like you, I want to see Fryermuth uh, stake his his uh, true claim as the best tight end in college football. I want him to be the first team All-American uh, tight end. I want him to get that spot. Um, as for everyone else, Kuntz, I think it's important that at least I'm going to look at him as not so much a tight end in a similar way that I looked at Fryermuth or Bowers. I think he's going to be more of like a wide receiver with an asterisk right there. I, I, I think he he's a guy who I want to see him catch. I have to adjust my stats to accommodate for like a 10 game season probably, but like 15 balls, you know, eight to 15. So anywhere in that range, I'll be happy just to see him become a reliable threat. If he can get on the field and play, even if it's just 15 snaps a game, I think is going to be great. If that's two tight end set, that's great. If that's him out wide, that's great. But I just want to see him be able to contribute because in all likelihood, this is Pat's last year and it's time to start grooming his heir apparent um theo johnson i really don't want to see him play I, I think he had that shoulder injury why rush him back he's not ready at anyway and brenton strange is kind of a wild card i don't have really high expectations for him he's so young and there's a lot of talent there and with with so many unknowns and the weird off season i just would like to see him maybe get some runs if if some blowouts start to pop up here and there um they feel like he's ready for more great but I really just want to see him develop a little bit more on the scout team, you know, bulk up a little bit more and kind of adjust to uh, to the college game now that you can kind of see some action on a more regular basis if need be. I think that's it for Penn State's uh, tight end. Uh, if we were a uh, more normal podcast, we would have an ad read right here. If you would like to sponsor this podcast, by all means, reach out. We will happily take your money. Moving on. I will I will plug something right now. I no, 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 no. You're going to plug that at the end because we all have right. a question that uh, – don't worry about that. Well, all right, sounds good. Matt has, Matt has something to plug. Don't worry. Uh, moving on to Penn State's offensive line, uh, a very, very interesting group. I mean, it seems like uh, every single year – for about mm, six seasons or so, there have been some questions about Penn State's offensive line, how good it could end up being, how good it would end up being. And this is really the first year, I think, that heading into it, I just feel really co- like I don't have a single concern, single like reasonable concern I would say about Penn State's offensive line went through a coaching change uh Matt Linegrover a uh, fellow Bruce Springsteen fan of both myself and Matt uh, my guy coach Limegrover love that to you I love you love that dude uh come on the podcast uh he has uh he is no longer with the program in comes Phil Troutwine uh former uh national champion at the University of Florida, who was the offensive line coach at Boston College, now in Happy Valley. Uh, He's entering into a program with just an absolutely stacked offensive line. Matt, for you, before we get into the players who are on this offensive line, what do you want to see out of Penn State's offensive line now that there is a new coach in town? This is super high expectations, but I want to see them dominate. I, I straight up, I want them to be the best offensive line in the Big Ten and, and make a run for the best offensive line in the country. What Phil Troutwine did at Boston College, granted it's the ACC, and insert ACC is bad joke here, but I absolutely think Troutwine is the kind of guy that can take this offensive line from good, completely skip great, and take them right to elite. I think he's that talented. This dude was turning out first-round picks, second-round picks, third-round picks at Boston College. And with what Penn State has in that position right now, there is no reason that they should not absolutely tear apart the competition. I I know earlier before all the COVID stuff hit that Michael Mennett said he was excited to work with him. And a big thing he emphasizes is playing low and using your legs, which 
probably sounds like something they should have been doing forever. But if you can get these super strong dudes from the Dwight Galt school of getting jacked and then have them feel like they're playing even stronger, there is absolutely zero reason that this 2020 Penn State offensive line cannot be the best in the conference. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny to put those expectations on it because, you know, like I just mentioned, Penn State's uh, Penn State's offensive line over the years, the expectation has been, you know, last year was a little bit different because we, you know, we were looking at some things where we were like, okay, uh, we think they could be good. You know, Steven Gonzalez, uh, Michael Mennett, Will Fries have some experience, CJ Thorpe. and Yeah, Bates, Bates and McGovern declaring early really put us behind the eight ball there unexpectedly. Right. Like, there were enough pieces there, and there was the case the year before that too, where, like, you could see an interesting offensive line there. But I think this is maybe – not even maybe. This really is the first time – in the James Franklin era at Penn State, where you can look at Penn State's offensive line and go, there are five dudes starting along it who, at the bare minimum, should be very solid players. Uh, there are a few guys in there who have the potential to be first, second team, all Big Ten selections. And there is some depth uh, to this group as well. So I like how you mentioned you want to see them dominate, because I think they had that in them. I think that when you talk about, we talk, you know, a few podcasts ago about how good Penn State's rushing attack can be. A good running game and a good offensive line are hand in hand. Like even unless you have someone like Saquon Barkley who uh, is able to make guys miss him in the backfield, you need to have that kind of stout indomitable offensive line that can free up space and let guys like Journey Brown, Noah Kane, Devin Ford really cook. And I think that they have the opportunity to do that. And if they can keep Sean Clifford upright too, like I, the, the sky is the limit for this offensive line. And I think that in trout wine, you know, this is absolutely not to say that uh, Matt Lime Grover, wasn't like this, but I think Trout Wyatt is absolutely one of those dudes who thinks the sky has to be the limit and is going to challenge them to be the best offensive line in the Big Ten and perhaps the best in all of college football. That gets into the players along Penn State's offensive line. A very, very, very talented uh, group of football players. There are no five stars, but there are a few uh Guys who are very highly regarded, four stars, Michael Mennett, like he, you know, I think there was maybe one or two players uh, between him and a five-star rating, or he might have been the last guy, something like that. C.J. Thorpe is a high four-star, uh, Rashid Walker, high four-star, Cade Wallace, high four-star. The guys who weren't high four-stars, a guy like Mike Miranda and Will Fries, are guys who... We've seen enough out of, I mean, we've seen enough flashes out of Miranda, and we've seen more than enough out of Will Fries to say, at the very least, they are capable or should be capable football players. So, Matt, left to right, what is your best guess on what this Penn State offensive line looks like whenever the 2020 season kicks off? All right, so give me Rasheed Walker holding down left tackle again. He's already a redshirt sophomore, so if he has a good enough year, he could go pro, which is which is terrifying and saddening, but... As Penn State gets better players, that's going to happen. Uh, left guard, Mike Miranda. Um, shout out Juice Scruggs being healthy again. Uh, I know Miranda was getting some run at center, I think kind of to get ready in case Michael Mennett didn't come back, but he did come back, so now Miranda slips over to left guard. Um, did I say left center before? Uh, you might. Miranda? Is that a hockey term? I think it might have been. I'm looking at the depth chart that they put out actually right now, and I think that's what threw me off. Um, so anyway, Rashid Walker, left tackle. Mike Miranda, left guard. Uh, Michael Mennett at center. Uh, CJ Thorpe at right guard. And Will Fries at right tackle. And I think Caden Wallace is going to really platoon with him a good bit. Because Will Fries has played a lot of ball. Like, as a redshirt freshman, I think his first start was, I want to say, like the second or third game. I think Georgia State that year might have been his first start. And I don't know why I remember that. But uh, he's played a lot of ball. But I think Caden Wallace is so talented. But, you know, first day, first game, I think that's the that's the five we're going to see. What do you think? I'm I'm inclined to agree with that. I mean, I the good news about this group is that I think in Walker, Mennett, Thorpe and Fries, that's four just bang on starters like you're not. 
at least from the very beginning, even if you are the most optimistic of player, uh, optimistic of uh, Cade Wallace fans, it's very hard to see a scenario in which he unseats Will Fries right away, or maybe even for throughout the course of the season. Really, the only question is at left guard, and even there, Mike Miranda is a guy who has been in the program for a while and who kind of knows what is expected of him, what he has to do. Uh, I Actually, I forgot where he was uh, rated as a recruit. He was a three-star recruit. I, I thought he was actually uh, a, a four-star guy heading into this, but he's someone who I remember during his recruitment, everyone everything about him was, yeah, he's just a solid football player. Like He's an unspectacular, unremarkable, but just good football player. And you put that in there next to a guy like Walker, who certainly looks the part of an NFL left tackle and has put together some very, 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 uh, very, Optim- very serious reasons for optimism. A guy like Mennett, who has been around forever, is able to mix the talent that he has with a really good brain. He can kind of direct traffic from a center spot. Thorpe, who is just nasty. Fries, who is just who is a talented kid. There is so much good in this Penn State offensive line. And as I mentioned a second ago, Matt, the reason that I'm so particularly uh, interested in this is there is a good amount of depth behind those dudes. Uh, we're, you know, the guys like uh, Salim Warmly, uh, Nick Dawkins, the true freshman, I think it'll probably be... Shout out, shout out Allentown. Shout out Allentown. Shout out uh, Chocolate Thunder, Daryl Dawkins, a uh, legend. Uh, fun fact about Daryl Dawkins, he uh, believes that Stevie Wonder wasn't blind because Stevie Wonder nicknamed him Chocolate Thunder. Uh, beyond... Those... Shout out Stevie Wonder. I, had two, I think I told the story. I had two CDs in my car when I was in high school because I'm 95 years old, and one of them was a Stevie Wonder CD. Which Stevie Wonder CD? I think it was Best Hits. I think my dad left it in there. It was that. I think it was Beach Boys Best Hits. So oh, there I am yeah. rolling up to my eastern Pennsylvania high school just blasting Stevie Wonder and the Beach Boys like an idiot. Yeah. Listen, you were just trying to bring the good vibrations to uh, to your high school. So Very uh, true. But yeah, be you know, taking out those true freshmen – Guy like Anthony Wigan uh, came from junior college, the highly regarded junior college prospect. Is now at six four, three hundred and twenty. You know, timelines are always weird uh, with junior college kids, especially along the offensive line. But you have him as a guy who can contribute. If Juice Scruggs is physically in a place where he can contribute, great. If not, he has plenty of time to get there. You know, Des Holmes, Bryce Effner, like. Penn State has options for guys it can fold in. And Matt, I'm a big believer along the offensive line in continuity. Uh, I want to see the you know the fives get as much run as they possibly can. But at points during games, like I want to see these younger dudes folded in. I want to see Des Holmes get left tackle snaps. I want to see uh, Mike Miranda kicked into center and have you know, a Bryce Effner plugged in at guard. How do you want to see these younger dudes, these guys who uh, might not be relied on to start this season, get some run along Penn State's offensive line during this campaign? I think we can kind of keep it with the Des Holmes, Rashid Walker model we had last year. Like Holmes got run at important parts of games like Late at late at Ohio State, he was in there over Walker. Like, I think this staff has made it clear that if they think you can play, you're going to play. And, and continuity is great. And it's a little bit different now, again, with everything being so weird and everybody being away for so long. So I don't know exactly what that means for, for people on the offensive line. But, you know, let's say, you know, Penn State's up 14 against Indiana. And we know something awful is about to happen because it's at Indiana. There's no reason why I don't think they can just say, Anthony Wigan, you know, you're in on this drive. If they think these dudes can compete, it's a waste of their talent and, frankly, a danger to the starters for a lot of these guys. I mean, 
thankfully Penn State's been pretty healthy along the offensive line the past couple of years, but dudes are going to get hurt. That, that's going to happen. So if you can keep dudes on the sideline, if you don't really need them and kind of get these younger guys and the guys in the two deep and three deep experience, you'd be ridiculous not to. Continuity is going to be great, but by at large, the majority of snaps is going to be taken by by the five starters I mentioned earlier. So you know, if every third drive you kind of want to start mixing and matching, I think that's a great idea. And, and then kind of as things tighten up, you're going to have a lot of dudes up front who are, you know, a lot more fresh than they normally would be, especially with Penn State offensive lines past. On that note, Bill, I want to play a game. Oh, God. A game that I got really mad when I came up with today. But Would you like I, to play a game? That's how I feel right now. So I... I'm on a YouTube video right now, four seconds in, and I'm already mad because it is highlights from September 5th, 2015, Temple 27, Penn State 10. And I have Penn State's starting offensive line in front of me. Were, were you at that game? I was not. I watched this from my like the big community room in Curtin Hall. This was my okay. first game as a Penn State student. Oh, no. Yeah, that was that was fun. I've been to two road games ever. That and the game when they lost to Indiana. So I've just never gone to. Uh, so I've just never gone to another road game because I'm I, over two. I was at Temple 2011, and I was at Pitt 2016, which was very fun. Um, okay, but I'm just gonna go down Penn State's scholarship grid. So do you want to know what the 2015 starting starting offensive line was? Okay, I'm going to guess. Okay. Um, was the left tackle Paris Palmer? It was Paris Palmer. Left guard Brian Gaia? He would have been, actually, I think at right guard at this point. Right guard. Okay. Uh, was the yeah, he's at right guard. He's at right guard in this. Was the he, le- he left, left guard, I don't think you're going to get it. <sighs> Give me a hint. His first, the first letter of his first name and last name is the same. Ah, oh, God Almighty! Can you tell me what that letter is? D. Derek Dowry. Derek Dowry. Uh, center Angelo Mangiro. Yep. And right tackle, uh, it's oh, the right tackle. I vaguely remember them being the best player of that bunch. Um, You're not. You are not wrong. Was it Angelo Mangiro? It was not. Uh. Wait, he's center. Manager center. center. Oh, sorry, I, I, I'm. Very you're close sleepy. though. You're close. Very sleepy. Um, hmm. You're you're so close. You're gonna be so mad at yourself. Am I close because they're Italian? No, you're close because A N also starts his name. Andrew Nelson. Yep. Oh God Almighty. Yeah, so that's fun. He should have been so good. Oh, sorry. He, sorry. I know it's such a shame. Yeah, I know injuries are just terrible, especially injuries. for a dude like that who played early and was uh Heartbreaking. Yeah. Anyway. All right. I'm just going to start rattling off names and you know, the starters and I'm just going to, and you just have to tell me if you think they would start on that offensive line. Mm -hmm. Okay. Will Will Fries. Yes. Michael Mennett. Yes. Des Holmes. Yes. Mike Miranda. Yes. DJ Thorpe. Yes. Anthony Wagan. Ooh. This is a tough. I'm, say, I'm saying yes. Brian Gaia was great at center, but he was a converted defensive tackle starting at guard. Yeah, I. The thing with Wigan is we haven't seen him, so like I don't know. The, the number one Juke. Who's the number one Juke offensive lineman? Which is the same thing. Paris Palmer. Yeah, was. I was going to say so was Paris Palmer. Yeah, so that's why I'm, that's why I'm going to put him in there as yes. Okay, sure. You're going yes. I will go with sure. Okay, Bryce Effner. Juice Scruggs. Healthy Juice Scruggs. Let's go with that. Yes. Rashid Walker. Yes. Caden Wallace. Yes. Stillium Warmly. Ooh. God, like my brain is just not working tonight. Warmly was um A four star kid. Oh, okay, yes. Uh yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's eleven dudes. That's everybody on Penn. That's all the offensive linemen who aren't about to be true freshmen. <laughs> would start all eleven of those dudes would start over the 2015. No disrespect to the 2015 offensive line, but that's just the way things used to be. Yeah. Uh, good. 
That, oh God, 2015 was a weird year, man. Wait, you, oh God, I, I really am upset that Temple game happened. Um, I, I knew it was going to make you mad. Yeah, I, I don't It makes feel, me mad too. I don't feel good. Let's, let's get into the mailbag. I don't uh, feel good. <laughs> let's get into the mailbag. Uh, start with an offensive line question. Uh, Will the blocking scheme be different under uh, Dave Ray? Wants to know will the coaching blocking scheme be different under Coach Rock this year, and does that benefit the offensive line? Uh, Matt, you did a little bit of looking into what the offense uh, will look like under Kirk Sharaka. Did you notice anything particularly different? I believe he's a big proponent of uh, running the inside zone. Like, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of what what Phil Troutwine's coached is that it's, it's Powerball. I mean, that's what Minnesota kind of made their money on. That's what BC certainly made their money on. So I think that that's where Michael Mennett's quote about him feeling a lot more powerful with, with kind of the new technique he's teaching. I think they're going to play a lot more physical. I, I think CJ Thorpe is going to thrive in, in this blocking scheme. I think he's going to absolutely maul dudes. And I think he's going to get kicked out of like two games and it's going to kick ass. <laughs> um, I, you know, that's something that's kind of hard to tell at this point because we don't really know how everything is going to work with all those new faces in that room. But I do expect some changes. Um, I think the, the power game is going to be a lot different. I think Noah Kane is going to love what they're going to do. Brown is going to enjoy it a lot. And I think, you know, pass blocking wise, I think it, there's not really all that much you can change that way. But, you know, in terms of, you know, old school Big Ten football, I think it's a kind of blocking scheme and just general offense in general that's really going to favor that. Yeah, I, mean, I think that it can sometimes be a bit overrated, uh, the concept of a coach coming in and installing what they want to install, because it's dependent on the players. Like, if Pence, if Kirk, Shira, uh, no, if uh, Penn State fired, or I won't say fired, if James Franklin left at the end of this season uh, to take the job uh, with, with an NFL team. We'll say James Franklin leaves to go to an NFL team and Penn State decides that uh, the best option to take over for him uh, is Ken Niumatololo, uh, formerly, or no, currently uh, head coach at Navy. Ken Niumatololo is not coming in and looking at Penn State's offense and going, well, I believe in running the triple option, so with these players, we're going to run the triple option. He would come in and he would look at those players and go, here's what we can do to put these players in the best position to succeed. We're going to see that with uh, all 11 players on the field on offense under Kirk Shiraka's leadership. We're going to see that along the offensive line with Phil Troutline coaching them up. We're going to see them at wide receiver with Taylor Stubblefeld all over the place because that's just what you have to do if you want to win football games. Uh, moving on, a question from our my from our pal DK Viper. Who's winning the Stanley Cup? Uh, Matt, I don't know anything about hockey, so do you just want to talk about basketball instead? I have a real quick hockey, not at all story I'm going to tell. Yeah, go ahead. I've I've been to one minor league hockey game, but I also don't live far from the PPL Center, home of the, uh, I think, Lehigh Valley Phantoms. And I've been there for a not hockey game. It was for a Penn State Drexel basketball game in 2014. Let's go. Bill, Guess who Penn State's second lead scorer in the game was? Because I guarantee you already know the first in 2014. First was DJ. Yep. Penn State won 73 to 68 to get to a, advance to 11 and one on the 2014-15 season. 2014. Geno Thorpe. It was not Geno Thorpe. Wow, this dude put up a double double. Put up a double. Do- Donovan Jack. It was not Don- Donovan Jack. Had eight points. Ah, uh, I believe he had a big game. And seven boards, though. Not bad. I was going to say, I think he had a big game against Drexel one year. Um, give me a hint. Um, he's probably one of your favorite players. Oh, that doesn't narrow it down. All right. Um, Penn State football is a player with the same name. Now they do, at least. Now they now they do, at least. Uh, very embarrassed that I haven't just gotten this one straight away. Um, it was B-Titty. Oh my God, Brandon Taylor! Let's go. He put up fourteen points and eleven boards, and he was four and nine from three. Uh, he was. Oh God, he was. I don't remember this game at all. He was. He was a good player. He should have. Uh, he he was one of those guys that like his eligibility just worked out weird, and he should have been. Uh, he sh- like if he plays 
a year later or something like that, he's, um, you know, he's like, I think he helps out a lot more, but, uh, yeah, I don't, neither of us know all that much about hockey. Like I would, I would like my devils to do well. I'm sure Matt would like his flyers to do well, but like, are, are you an NHL guy, Matt? Seriously, I don't want to. I am. Here. I straight up. No, I, I honestly don't think I understand how offsides work. Neither do I. So, uh, right, let's instead talk about the NBA in part, because we also got a quite, not a question, uh, more of a request from uh, our palimetry records. Calvin Booth's now the Nuggets general manager and Bull Bull has been unleashed. Please discuss. Um, I was at the NBA draft, uh, you know, covering it for the nine to five last year uh, when Bull Bull got drafted, uh, as people might know, Bull Bull, son of Manute Bull, five star prospect, went to the University of Oregon, ended up breaking his foot, was projected to go in the lottery, ended up going somewhere, uh, I believe, in the late 40s. It was very uh, weird to watch all of that. Like, it was obviously the one of the most embarrassing days of the kid's life, but his first game, uh, his first scrimmage game in the Orlando bubble with the Denver Nuggets, he showed out rooting for him. He's a nice guy, all that. Matt, uh, real quick, uh, NBA Finals prediction, who you got and why you got them. All right. Give me my beloved Philadelphia 76ers wow. because the NBA has an interest to rig the game so Matisse Thibel's blog vlogs go on longer. So put me down for that. And give me the Lakers because I want JaVale McGee to just ramble on at media day. Gotcha, that's- that's my pick. I, I'm trying to remember what I had um, before the season tipped off. Uh, I believe I had Bucks Clippers with the Bucks winning. Uh, and if I still, if that is indeed what I had, uh, Bucks, yep, Bucks Clippers, and I had. Uh, oh wait, no, I did have a. Uh, I, I did have the Clippers because I, I can't bet against Kawhi. So yeah, I will I'll stick with that. Uh, how do you feel about the Clippers heading into this aside from uh aside from Batiste Thibel now being a multimedia mastermind? How do you feel about the Clippers or the Sixers? Because Clippers, shout out Sixers. Lou Williams. Sixers, apologies. Shout out Lou Williams shout- for for leaving to go get <laughs> wings at a strip club. Yo, like be honest though. Sixer you, legend Lou Williams. You saw pictures of those wings, right? Yo, they look so good. I get it. <laughs> I would totally do the same thing. So yeah, what do you uh, what do you think of your Sixers heading into the bubble? Um, Embiid looks healthy and Embiid looks fit, which is which is a humongous win. Um, I still don't understand what Al Horford's there for. I don't think anyone understands what Al Horford's there for. Um, ben Simmons is an All Star. Ben Simmons needs to shoot more. Um, he hit a three in a scrimmage a couple days ago, which was exciting. What confident taking him? I know, right? Uh, shout out my guy Furkin Korkmaz. Um, literally have no reason to like him as much as I do. I just want him to do great. Um, I feel pretty good. Literally, this is the weirdest time in the world. So I've just accepted that sports won't make any sense for like another year and a half. So I'm just hoping for stuff to get really weird, which is why I'm pumped. Bull Bull is here. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Bull Bull and the gigantic Denver Nuggets. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think the Sixers are going, I think the fact that they've gotten completely healthy, Ben Simmons back, Joel Embiid always is nagging stuff. I believe Al Horford uh, was nursing a, a, a tender uh, Achilles tendon. So I, I think th- I, I'm very interested in watching the Sixers. We'll say that at the bare minimum because when they are at their best, you know, they they can beat anybody. They can beat anybody four times out of seven games. So if you would like uh, to hear shout Matt. Out, shout out Shake Milton. Da, 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 da. That's uh, for my Pitbull and Ying Yang twin heads uh, in the audience. If you would like uh, to hear Matt and I talk more about the Sixers or any basketball in general, reach out to us. We're happy to talk about basketball with you. Also happy to talk about things. Question from Chad. What made a pup named Scooby-Doo the best entry in the Scooby-Doo franchise? Matt, uh, want to plug that thing you were talking about earlier? Yes. So uh, quarantine's very weird for everybody. I think everybody's looking for, for things to pass the time. So this upcoming Tuesday, I got to remember the date here, the first Tuesday in August, August 4th, I am dropping my Scooby-Doo podcast that I am doing, the Direct to Video podcast, where I am going to be reviewing and discussing with a good friend of mine, Paz, uh, the Direct to Video Scooby-Doo movies. So we start off with Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Um, I didn't pay attention, uh, when we watched the movie for the podcast because I legitimately watched it like eight days before. So 
keep your eyes out for those. We're going to keep going from August through Halloween. So usually about two a week. So a, a double header, if you will. So I'm very excited about it. It's going to oh. be very, it's going to be very stupid, but be sure to subscribe. And uh, I, I'm excited to see what Matt ends up doing with that because Bill will be a guest. Bill, uh, he's, <laughs> we're yet to decide which one he's going to be on, but I'm going to push the one where um, Bobby Flay is Fred's uncle. Ooh, I was or, or Scooby Doo in WrestleMania. Yeah, I was going to say I thought for sure I was uh, I was going to be a shoe in for the WrestleMania one, but I, I know there's a Bobby. Whichever Flay one you want to do, we'll, literally, we'll, there's no there's no rules. I don't I don't have an agent, so we'll we'll talk about this later. Right, cool. uh, but yeah, uh, Scooby Doo. Uh, cultural cornerstone of our society and i hope that scooby-doo uh and everyone in that universe is doing well right now uh let's end this with a football question from at tall jake uh matt this is kind of the question hanging over uh penn state football the question hanging over penn state football right now it's a question that people at clemson are uh, hoping they don't have to answer with Trevor Lawrence uh, at Ohio State with Justin Fields, all Oregon with uh, Penny Sewell, all over college football. The question is, if the season moves to spring, and this is Penn State's version of it, if the season moves to spring, will Micah stay? And I think... You know, everyone probably understands uh, that was question was from at Paul Jake. Uh, I think everyone basically understands uh, where that question comes from, but there is a uh, belief. It's something that you know we over at the site have written about. Uh, plenty of people believe the feasibility of it is a bit up in the air. That in order for there to be a college football season. Doing something in the fall while COVID-19 is still widespread across the country, it's dangerous to put players and coaches potentially through that, and it just might not be feasible to do something in the fall, but there kind of has to be a college football season because universities and athletic departments, as much as they do not they probably don't want to admit this because it's potentially opening up a can of worms regarding amateurism. They need the money that college football will bring in. Look at what straight up. If, if there's no season, there can be no college athletics, right? Uh, I don't think I'm exaggerating straight up. If, if there's no season there, there's no money. This is where all of your money coming from. And you're losing a lot by just getting rid of those two games. You already gave up like Penn state played. What was it? Buffalo last year in prime time. Yep. That that's a lot of TV money. Like to, to get a prime time game on a major network, even if it's something like that, you're losing money. So if you lose any more and especially with limited capacity, man, you, your athletic department is in some trouble. Yeah. And that, that just is about big schools, you know, Penn state might end up being fine because Penn state is so big and has so much other, ways of bringing money in, but smaller power five, like Penn, I mean, Penn State would still be in trouble, assuredly, don't get me wrong, but smaller power five schools would be in a terrible, terrible spot. You think of a school like Penn, uh, like Kent State, which lost out on a seven-figure payday to come to Happy Valley and just get and lose to Penn State, more or less. That's a really big blow for a Kent State, a San Jose State, schools of that nature. So what the thought is, is that in order to get some amount of money from college football this season, you move the season to the spring in some capacity, whether it's a full season, whether it's you know an eight-game season, whether it's conference only, what you do with bowls, all these things would need to be answered. But the thought is in order to salvage a college football season and a safer environment, one that is more conducive uh, to being able to play the game safely, you move it to spring, you know, there have been reports, there have been speculation that we could have some sort of uh, coronavirus vaccine by the end of the year, early next year. All these things kind of go into it. Now, if that happens, the issue is God knows what the NFL is going to do. God knows what the NFL is going to try to do. But if you are a player of Micah Parsons' caliber who has a really, 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 really big payday coming for him whenever the NFL draft goes around. Why would you play this college football season, a 
February, you know, a March to May college football season when right smack dab in the middle of that, you're going to be drafted by an NFL team. It's something, again, Clemson fans, Ohio State fans, Oregon fans, all these college football fans are worried about. Virginia Tech has to worry about it now. Caleb Farley, their uh, probably first-round corner, became the first person to opt out of the season already. Uh, An Illinois player opted out before him, uh, but uh, he was the first player who has, like, legitimate NFL aspirations. So you you hear that and you consider that, and I don't, you know, it's not just a question that, Michael Parsons needs to answer. You know, Michael Mennett, Will Fries have NFL futures, could have NFL futures. They have to answer that question if they want to play their senior season, risk that payday. Shaka Tony has to answer that question. Tariq Castro Fields. Uh, I'm just going down the roster. Pat Fryermuth, Journey Brown. Uh, if Rashid Walker, if there's an indication that Rashid Walker could be a first round offensive lineman, maybe he has to answer. Like, this is a really serious thing, and this is something that I'm guessing keeps James Franklin up at night, just like he keeps every coach up at night, but I'm going to say something that I think a lot of our listeners are going to disagree with. If the season moves to spring, Matt, and I am Micah Parsons, I am telling Penn State fans, thank you for everything you did for me. My last game was the Cotton Bowl. I'm heading to the NFL. And if I'm Pat Fryerbooth and if I'm Journey Brown, I'm thinking about that, making that decision too. Because as much as we all love Penn State, as much as those guys love Penn State, you play football to make it to the NFL when you are of their caliber. And the potential for a spring season, like the potential of a season happening in spring and getting called to the NFL midway through that, I just don't think it is worth potentially risking that NFL payday in some form or fashion and having to just weave college football halfway through it. Get paid. Yeah. Always go get paid. Uh, it, it, as somebody who, who follows college football religiously and the NFL pretty much not at all, it's a major bummer. But at the end of the day, these dudes are doing this for free. And there's absolutely no reason to jeopardize yourself making millions of dollars for such a quick turnaround go get paid and i've thought a lot about this over the past few weeks i don't think there's that many guys on penn state's roster or in general draft eligible guys who would opt out and i think looking at 2019 lsu is the perfect reason to stay because joe burrow is probably a sixth-round pick going off his redshirt junior film. What do you think? Something like that? Clyde Edwards-Alaire not getting drafted based upon his 2018 film. It was a 2019. There can be so much ground you can gain if you're a fringe guy or a guy who, let's say, is like fifth round or later. But if you're Micah Parsons, Pat Fryermuth, and probably Journey Brown, there's no reason for you to stay. I think Journey's going to be the first back taken off the board. I've said this before. I don't know if I've ever said it on the podcast. The only thing keeping Journey Brown from going in the first round of the NFL draft is that you just don't draft backs in the first round anymore. Like Journey does everything well. Like Journey does everything you need out of a modern back. He's a guy who's going to get drafted based upon and drafted highly based upon what his film already shows. So if you're, I think those three are the ones who would opt out. And if I were to say maybe one might come back, I'd say Fryermuth because he could have gone this year and he still didn't. And if you tell him, hey, you know, you get eight more times in Beaver Stadium, maybe he comes back for that. Who knows? But I'm not confident that if the season is played in the spring, that those high caliber superstars in college football are going to come back. And it stinks. But that's great about college football is that there's always a superstar waiting in the wings, like, no matter where they are. College football is going to be able to make it through this just fine. There's always going to be stars. There's always going to be exciting players to watch. And for Penn State, there's a lot of young talent that if these guys choose to go, they're going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I would say is that I think this calculus probably, eh, I won't say probably, but might change up a bit if the NFL says, all right, listen, here's the deal. Um, Start the season in early March, uh, run through 
you know, middle of May, end of May, you do bowl games. And then first week of June, second week of June, we do the draft because like, do you like, I'm interested in how badly you need uh, the full combine to the extent that they do it outside of for like advertising reasons and TV purposes and stuff like that. But I think if you make it so you can have a college football season and then worry about the NFL instead of the NFL coming calling midway through this college football season, that's the situation where like, you know, maybe that's where when Trevor Lawrence play, maybe that's when like, I don't think it's as bad of an idea for Trevor Lawrence to play. Trevor Lawrence don't play. Justin Fields don't play. Mm-hmm. Micah Parsons don't play. Penny Sewell don't play. Like all these guys don't play if it is the situation where it could be spring season and halfway through you get the call to the NFL. But if the NFL is willing to adjust its calendar, which it's the NFL, so God knows, that's when I don't think it's as bad of a decision. But in general, I would say, you know, I'm not reporting this. I haven't heard anything. Just... If I had to put money on it one way or the other, I'd guess that Micah Parsons is probably done playing football at Penn State, no matter how much I really, really want to see him play for Penn State again, Matt. Yeah, I agree. Unless, you know, I'll say it. I think they're going to try to play in the fall. I think we may get like one more game out of Micah. Oh, God, absolutely. I think maybe we'll get like one more game, you know, which I'm happy with, but... I, I, I think we're going to have football Labor Day weekend. <laughs> I honestly do. Responsibly or not, I think teams are yeah. going to try to. Like, straight up, Iowa State just scheduled a game this week. Like, that's a lot of time and energy to put into scheduling the game this late in, in, in the process if you don't think you're going to play it. Yeah. We're going to have football this, this year. Somehow, some way, we're going to have it. And it they're going to try it at least in the fall, and how long we go, I don't know. I, I'd like to see it in the spring. I think that would be really fun and weird. Um, play like eight games in the spring and then don't have bowl games. Like go to the old model, have like seven bowl games and then let's reset and have a normal and fun and relaxing and exciting 2021 season. You know, we kind of have to adjust as we go, but I I think we're going to be playing ball this fall, at least trying to. Yeah. I mean, I, I really cannot stress how bad of an idea I think that is. Um, and like, I'm, I'm sure you're with me in that, but like, man, God, like, who boy, this it, it, it's a it, it's a tough situation for me to wrap my head around. I can't imagine having to be in a nineteen twenty year old having to weigh playing college football versus potentially making it to the NFL. So, hopefully, uh, the, whatever situation whatever uh, situation comes about is done with the best interest of players in mind above everything else. Um, Based on knowing how the NCAA works, I have some skepticism that'll be the case, but regardless, I hate to end it on that kind of somber note, but Penn Penn State got two crews this week. That's exciting. Ah, yes. Penn State. uh, uh, It's unfortunate that uh, Matt, other Matt is uh, currently evil Matt. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, the evil Matt uh, is currently out doing uh, doing wedding things, but Penn State earned uh, commitments from a pair of 2020 recruits, four-star Ohio wide receiver Caden Saunders and four-star uh, Wisconsin tight end Jerry Cross with those two, you know, obviously very early, but with those two commitments, Penn State has the number six class uh, in the class of 2022. Uh, At the top is LSU, uh, which has five commits. So plenty of time for Penn State to catch up to uh, DeCocho and the the machine that he is building down there. Hey, Matt, do a quick DeCocho impression. Go, go Tigers. Good enough. Thank go you. Go Tigers. Thank you. Go Tigers. We're playing ball this fall. It don't matter if it's a bad idea or not. We're playing ball. Go Tigers. You, that sounded just That's... enough like a uh, bad impersonation of like – Cookie uh, Monster. I was going to say a Brooklyn Italian, but that works too. <laughs> uh, thank you. Very much for Coach O, famous New York Italian man. <laughs> Same, yes, I mean I uh, that, that that those are my people, 
and Orgeron is definitely a last name that I've heard. The uh, Sopranos. Yeah, the Sopranos. It, it, it's it's uh, clunky, but did you watch The Sopranos? Um, I've started a thousand times. I've watched him swim with those ducks like 35 times. <laughs> yes, that's one of the first And episodes. I've watched him go to Maine like nine times. I have to just sit down and get – I got caught up in Avatar The Last Airbender, which is the exact opposite show from The Sopranos. So I got I to gotta sit back down and get back caught up. Well, today is Paulie Walnut's birthday, so there's no better time than uh, July 29th. The actor who plays Paulie Walnut's birthday, so there's no better time than July 29th to dive back in. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, uh, keep reading, supporting the site. Best way for you to do that is to head over to the store, purchase some of our shirts. Uh, I don't know how the aforementioned Matt wedding will impact your ability to get them, but we hope you purchase them and you enjoy them as much as everyone else who has purchased them seems to have. Make sure you head to uh, all the various podcasting platforms where you can find this Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you podcast are found. If you're going to Apple Podcasts, if you want to leave us a five-star review, we would very much appreciate that. Follow us on all of our social media channels, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all those. Yeah, keep reading, supporting the site, all that stuff. One last time, thank you for listening to this edition of Roll Ryan's Radio. For my co-host, Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Wear a mask, wash your hands, and go Tigers.